0: Hi, my name's Olivia, and I'm on a mission to break the silence of domestic violence and sexual assault. This production is brought to you by Bolton Refuge House, which is headquartered in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. At Bolton Refuge House, we create a safe space through programs and services for all persons impacted by domestic violence, intimate partner violence and sexual assault, and advocates for social change. Every year since 2001, a coalition called End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin provides a homicide report. The report focuses on homicides due to domestic violence. This coalition works with all 72 counties and the 11 tribes that are located in the state. They also provide training and technical assistance in a variety of ways throughout the state. This is Sarah. She's the Homicide Prevention Coordinator at End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin.
1: Um, In my specific role, I am the author of the annual. Um, domestic violence homicide report, and then I'm also in charge of um, the expansion of the Lethality Assessment Program, or LAP, throughout Wisconsin. So the purpose of the report is really, um, first and foremost, to honor the lives lost to domestic violence in Wisconsin each year. Um, you know, the people that we have included in the reports, the victims of the homicides, aren't just You know, victims of homicides, they're people that had lives, and so we do want to use the report to honor the full lives that these folks had.
0: End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin also uses this annual homicide report as a way to generate awareness and as a call to action to communities.
1: Like, for example, seeing that, you know, there's trends in the amount of cases that involve strangulation. For example, we're going to, you know, focus our efforts on making sure that um, communities have the tools to identify and respond um, to strangulation in, you know, an appropriate manner.
0: And Domestic Abuse Wisconsin uses the information that they gain from the homicide report in a variety of ways. One way that they tried to make a positive impact from the report is through policy advocacy
1: last year in twenty eighteen for example sixty five percent of the cases were committed with a firearm. The report found that of those firearm perpetrated homicides, nearly thirty percent of them were committed by a perpetrator that shouldn't have had access to a firearm, so that you know, means that we're wanting to do more around our legislative advocacy with regards to making sure um, loopholes in our laws that allow people to get their hands on firearms when they're prohibited from doing so. Um, For example, universal background checks, um, you know, it informs our legislative advocacy around um, firearm measures and firearm laws that have worked in other states. So, those are the three primary reasons that we produce the report.
0: And Domestic Abuse Wisconsin has been doing this annual homicide report since 2001. That's almost 20 years of homicide reports. As Sarah looks back on all of the reports, she does notice some similarities throughout the years.
1: Similarities are that 17 of those 19 years, we have data from females were the primary victim, In two of those years, you know, males were actually more victims of DV-related homicides were males than um, females, but by and large, you know, majority of years, it was females that are victims, which, you know, is probably not a huge surprise because the majority of domestic violence is perpetrated against females.
0: Since the homicide report began in 2001, Females have primarily been the victim of homicide due to domestic violence. Although that's true most years, the report has shown that two of those years since 2001, males have been the primary victim. I think it's important to point out that in the homicide report, children are also reported. So if there is a child that has been killed due to domestic violence, the gender is reported in the homicide report. This explains why it appears males are the primary victim in those two years.
1: Say a separated couple, um, husband or ex-husband, murders the children as a way to get revenge, um, or to you know, ultimately hurt that that victim. Um, so we've had cases where it's a lot of male children, unfortunately, that are victims, and so that drives up the count of male victims. Um, And we also include cases where it's a jealous ex-partner who was abusive towards that ex-partner who is now targeting his ex's new partner. There's always um, each year a number of cases that fit that criteria.
0: When Sarah examines the reports throughout the years, one common trend that she sees is that most perpetrators use a firearm when committing
1: homicide. In fact... Firearms are more commonly used than every other method combined. So strangulation, stabbing, each year firearms surpass that by quite a lot.
0: I'd like to take a short break to thank Ally Rudd Financial Services located in Mondovi, Wisconsin, for sponsoring today's episode. If you live in Wisconsin and are in need of financial services, I encourage you to go to Ali Rudd's website for more information. Her website is alirud.com. Okay, now let's jump back into the show. In Wisconsin's 2018 homicide report, 37% of victims were murdered whenever they told their partner that they were wanting to leave the relationship.
1: Nationally, the studies have shown that it's typically around 50 to 75% of victims are killed when they're separating um, or have recently separated from an abusive partner. We don't have all the sources of information that a lot of the national studies uh, rely on to, to get that 50 to 75%. I would venture to guess that if we had maybe interviewed family members or friends that knew that the victim had recently left... Um, that maybe we'd have, you know, a higher percentage of the the separation-related homicide percentages. The homicide
0: report suggests that when an individual tells their partner that they want to leave the relationship or separate, it can actually be a very dangerous time for the individual who is wanting to leave. But leaving or separating isn't the only predictor that something bad may happen.
1: So physical violence certainly is a good predictor. Um, But it's not, not the only predictor. And there are always a number of cases each year where people are shocked. You know, this came out of nowhere. There's seemingly no history here of violence between the couple. But really, you know, we aren't privy to the intimate details of that relationship. So we wouldn't know unless we were, you know, in the relationship, if there was all, you know, a, a history of violence, physical violence that occurred prior to the homicides.
0: When writing the homicide report in Domestic Abuse Wisconsin, make sure to include the ages of the victims and the perpetrators.
1: In looking at the 2018 cases, so the average um, age of victims was 38 years old, and the average age for perpetrators was 36.
0: An interesting side note is that, according to the Wall Street Journal, the average first divorce in the United States is between the ages 25 and 34. It really makes me wonder if there's a correlation between the ages of divorce and the ages of homicide.
1: Another sort of thing that was surprising in 2018, um, 2018, as far as I know, Since we've started tracking kind of the urban-rural divide, um, 2018 was really the first year that there were more incidents of homicide per capita in rural parts of Wisconsin than urban areas. So the split there... In 2018, um, it looks like about 54% were in rural areas and 46 in urban areas. And we're using the census definitions of urban and rural for okay. how we classify that. In 2017, about 58% were in urban areas. So that's a 12% swing <laughs> really, mm-hmm. in one year. There could be a lot of guesses as to what that's about, but I think, you know, importantly, and being from I'm from a small town in central Wisconsin, and so like I'm familiar with some of like the attitudes or assumptions that come with you know thinking that we're immune to experiencing types of violence because mm-hmm. we're not living in an urban area, right. you know those problems happen there, they don't happen here, kind of thing um so I think it's it's pretty interesting and you know it. It should be sort of an eye opener to rural parts of the state that, you know, might not think that they need the lab, for example. Right. Per capita. You know, it's mm-hmm. pretty clear that rural parts of Wisconsin do.
0: Another thing that in domestic abuse Wisconsin takes a look at is suicide and homicide cases. Typically each year in Wisconsin there is someone who annihilates the entire family, then commits suicide directly after.
1: We only include the suicides that happen when it's after a homicide, like immediately after a homicide okay. incidents or the double murder-suicide incidents. Mm-hmm. We don't include when just a perpetrator commits suicide. You know, a couple of years ago, it seemed to peak, um, and that seemed to sort of remain constant. Um, not sure necessarily what that's about.
0: In the state of Wisconsin, there are approximately 10 to 15 murder-suicides every year. As a way to reduce these homicide numbers, local coordinated community response teams look at the data that InDebus, Wisconsin provides and focuses on their own communities. These community response teams look at trends and patterns that they see from year to year within their communities. Based on the patterns and trends that these teams see, they will strive to provide change and awareness.
1: At End we've um, done some looking at homicide statistics like per capita in parts of the state that aren't yet implementing LAP to sort of prioritize areas that we're going to reach out to and try and entice <laughs> to mm-hmm. pursue the program sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these parts of the state are what people wouldn't expect. They're the really rural parts of Wisconsin that, you know, yeah, they might have only had four DV-related homicides in 18 years, but comparatively, you know, per capita, that's percentage-wise greater than some of the areas of the state that have larger populations.
0: The homicide report also states that minority groups tend to have a higher rate of homicide due to domestic violence.
1: It's a smaller community, but per capita thing, they have, you know, a higher percentage than of people. Um, And, you know, I think we, as advocates, know why certain communities feel more trapped when they're experiencing (laughs) domestic abuse because of the close-knit nature and people knowing everybody.
0: When we take a closer look at the homicide report and we examine the trends and patterns of where the homicide occurs... The homicide report suggests that the main place the homicide is likely to occur at is the home of the victim, perpetrator, or their shared residence.
1: The more common places beyond that are in public spaces. More specific within that category are like workplaces, home of a third party. So whether that's like some place the victim is seeking safety, you know, a, a parent, friends home sometimes it's you know a friend that the perpetrator of the homicide is jealous of and thinks something's going on and so that's kind of the catalyst
0: one of the things that sarah tries to do in her role with end abuse wisconsin is to find educational materials for community members sarah had an idea a couple years ago to approach the state bar in wisconsin sarah wanted to provide educational materials for attorneys who represent family law issues, because within her role at End Abuse, Wisconsin, she understands that separation can be a very dangerous time for some families. Sarah got this idea from a case that she had been
1: studying. In 2017, um, Carrie and Dean Lance, Dean uh, killed his estranged wife. They were separated, but have been separated for years. And he had found out that she filed for divorce through CCAP, um, put it put it on CCAP, which, you know, the circuit court records page. And apparently, uh, family law attorneys can look at CCAP and solicit business from respondents for divorce cases. So some family law attorney saw that Dean, you know, there was a impending divorce and reached out to Dean and, you know, was trying to get him to be his client and have this lawyer represent him in the divorce. Well, Dean didn't know that Carrie had filed for divorce, so that tipped him off. And, of course, we know separation is a dangerous time, and especially, like I said, they have been separated, but pursuing this formal legal separation can, you know, further enrage somebody who's already kind of displaying possessive controlling you know behavior. We worked with the attorney that was representing Carrie in the divorce because as you can imagine you know losing a client to a murder-suicide you wonder you know what could I have done or could I have done anything more and so we worked with the attorney that represented Carrie Lance in the divorce and did a webinar for for family law attorneys. And that was sort of the starting point of developing this relationship with the daughter of Carrie and Dean. Her name's Angelina Schnook. And she agreed to do, like, a long-form interview with me for the 2017 report. Uh, so you can take a look at that if you haven't looked at it yet, but... Um, you know, through talking with her, it was pretty clear she and her mom, you know, would never have said Carrie was a victim of domestic violence. Like, Carrie didn't identify that she was the victim. And so, you know, this kind of is the power of having that external lens to view a situation. And, you know, again, a missed maybe opportunity in some cases where a family law attorney could do more things proactively when they identify that there's a high potential for lethality in this case when we sat down and and if you look at that interview I had with her, you know in hindsight she's like, oh yeah, you know, connecting the dots that there was you know some strange things that were happening that now looking back it's like, oh yeah, we should have known that was that was Dean that was messing with us messing with her car and you know, doing all of these other strange things. So, kind of in hindsight, she's thinking, she's noticing that there were warning signs. But again, connecting the dots when you're living in that environment can sometimes not come easily unless you have somebody from the outside saying, like, hey, this plus this plus this is kind of strange. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe we should do something more proactive or different to intervene in this case.
0: As Sarah does these homicide reports, she often sees a trend of the personality traits of the perpetrators. She says a lot of the times, the perpetrators tend to be controlling or possessive or have stalkerish behaviors. And sometimes, the perpetrators, they just don't want to admit or accept that their relationship is ending. These behaviors may not seem dangerous when you're in that situation. But if you can identify these behaviors and act upon them, this could potentially save your life. Perpetrators who commit homicide aren't always super violent people, and I think it's important to recognize that. End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin are huge advocates for the Lethality Assessment Program. If you want to learn more about what the Lethality Assessment Program is, You can go back to our episode called Bridging the Gap where we discuss what the program is and the purpose of the Lethality Assessment Program. I really encourage you to go and listen to that episode. A quick explanation of what the Lethality Assessment Program is is it's a program that the police department in that local community uses whenever they get a domestic violence call. The idea is it will help the victim recognize if they are in a potentially lethal situation or not, which will hopefully result in saving that victim's life.
1: The danger with, like, and the, the value of the lab is, identi- like, getting people to better identify those mm-hmm. situations. Historically, we look at physical violence, and that's, you know, I think what a lot of law enforcement, there. are they're keyed into is there a threat or was there physical violence that happened? So we're missing some of the more dangerous cases when we're ha- when we have tunnel vision on that physical violence.
0: If you are interested in reading the homicide reports, you can go and check them out yourself. You can go to their website at www.endabusewi.org. That's www.endabusewi.org. All of Sarah's very hard work is on there, and it's actually very informative and very interesting to read. And there's a lot of resources on their website as well. A very special thanks to Sarah for speaking to us today and giving us her insight on the homicide reports that happen in the state of Wisconsin. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence or sexual assault, I want to encourage you to call us at our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week confidential hotline. You can reach us at 715-834-9578. If you have any questions or would like to send us an email, you can reach us at director at boltonrefuge.org. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. I'm sorry. I took a couple weeks off. I got sick and then it was the holidays and now hopefully we're back up and running. But thank you so much for your support. Please make sure to send this to your family and friends and together we can help break the silence on this very sensitive topic called domestic violence. I'm your host, Olivia.